Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. In Canada, the government decides who makes art. That's not true. Anybody can make art. But in Canada, the government decides who gets paid to make art. That's not true either. The government funds the Canada Council for the Arts, who in turn hire juries of artists and they decide who gets paid to make art. Artists funding artists. It works out great. But of course, that's not true either. The question of who gets Canada Council art grants, which artist, which theater company, which orchestra, which artistic medium, which genre, which ethnicities, which geographic region, whose friend, high art or low art, good art or bad art, it's about as political and controversial and complicated and bitter a struggle as you might imagine. And the Canada Council has kind of acknowledged that. After years of criticism that a tiny, intertwined cultural elite in Quebec and Toronto have hoarded the institution's resources, cycling funding back and forth between them to the exclusion of most everybody else, after years of accusations of that, the Canada Council is undergoing a massive restructuring. It started in 2015 when Justin Trudeau came to power and set a goal of doubling the Canada Council's funding 
it will be $360 million next year. And along with that money came a whole new approach. Gone are categories like dance, theater, and music. They have been replaced with funding streams called Explore and Create, Engage and Sustain. Perhaps more meaningfully, there is a broad undertaking to shake up who gets arts funding and who governs it. And that's why my next guest joins me in a minute. Jesse Wente is a Canadian arts journalist and administrator and cinephile. He has talked about film and pop culture on the CBC for over 20 years. He was the director of film programs at the Tiff Bell Lightbox Theatre. He is the director of the Indigenous Screen Office. And this year, he was named the new president of the Canada Council for the Arts. Now, one thing to disclose. When it comes to arts funding, a lot of people tend to form strong opinions about the entire practice of arts funding based on one artist or artwork that got money that they think was undeserving, that shouldn't have. I have to own my own bias here. I have felt that way in the past, and I, I can't help myself from bringing that up eventually. But I am going to do my best to leave my own personal aesthetic prejudices aside. This is not about me. This is about how we make art in Canada. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Garrett Woolsey, Stephanie Peltier, Daniel Alksness, Edward LaRusic, Anne Hartman, Dennis St. Pierre, Ian Dimmock, and Katie Pedlar. Hi, my name is Katie. I'm a student at Trent University in Peterborough, Ontario. I support Canada Land because media literacy is becoming increasingly important and Shortcuts contextualizes a lot of Canadian media. Good journalism is worth paying for, and I respect the fact that Jesse is no one's darling. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Congrats on the gig. Thank you so much. I was like a little surprised. Like I, I know you, uh, you've been the pop culture columnist for many years. I know you as a film guy. I know you as a pop culture guy, like comics and superheroes, big Star Wars fan, genre stuff, commercial stuff. There's no judgment in me saying that. I'm that kind of guy too. But I never knew you as like a highfalutin, fancy uh, paintings and poems and plays kind of guy. Were you secretly fancy? When did you get so fancy? I didn't realize that there was that big of a divide between these two worlds. Um, fan when did I get fancy? I mean, I've been attending theater since I was a kid. I attended the Toronto Symphony when I was a child, the National Ballet. My family w wanted to make sure we were culturally engaged with all the sort of classical art. So I saw all of that stuff. I'm not saying I attend it regularly now, but I, I have attended it. Certainly, uh, my house is filled with visual arts. I, I love all that stuff. So I guess for me, I never realized that there was somehow a difference between that and comic books and mo and movies and all the other stuff that I, that is where my expertise lies. Maybe that's the, the difference is, you know, I spoke about those things publicly because I was sort of trained to do that. And without a doubt, movies were my first and are my greatest artistic love. Um, so that's certainly what I've devoted so much of my professional attention to, but uh, I don't know. I didn't, I'm not sure I kept anything really uh secret. I don't know if anyone asked, you know, I was the president of the oldest um, indigenous performing arts company in Canada for many years. Um, so, uh, and that was certainly wasn't a secret. It's just, no one ever asked about it and it's a small company. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it as that far apart and I've served on the board for the Canada council since uh, 2017. So I've been in the milieu for um, a few years now. I served on the Toronto arts council. So arts have, of all kinds, uh, even the ones I don't understand, Jesse, have been a big part of my life <laughs> since I was a kid. You are taking on this new role at Canada Council at a moment of transition mm. in a couple of ways. On the, on the one hand, it's a transition where the Canada Council has had its funding uh, greatly increased under the Trudeau government, but it's also during this big transformation of what the Canada Council funds and how it envisions itself. And, you know, I think that, that uh, people involved have been explicit that this is in response to problems. From your perspective, what is wrong with arts funding in Canada and how do you fix it? <laughs> well, I'm glad you went with a softball. Um, <laughs> that's the million dollar question. And um, I mean, if I had every answer, I would, I, I would probably be in charge of much more stuff than I currently am, uh, Jesse. Um, uh, what's wrong? I mean, from, from, I think the challenge with arts funding in Canada is, is there's, there's multiple challenges, but I think 
uh, central to it is that we create we've we created a, a very robust system to help foster um, a cultural community and frankly a culture in Canada. You know, I, I think if you look back at the history of cultural um, support and and whether that's the Canada Council for the Arts, which was founded in 1957, the CBC, the National Film Board, uh, frankly, you know, a lot of the laws that. Um, allow a Canadian culture to foster, you know, with the Broadcasting Act, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think what what they, they came in to, to be to really help create this culture and to, let's be honest, keep the predatory culture of the South, the, those, the big American culture, sort of away from us, uh, acknowledging that there's something distinct and unique about Canadian culture. And, and some would argue, and you, this is a a topic for a different day, but some would argue that sort of ever since the search for what that is, what Canadian culture is, has been the really the cultural pro, uh, project of Canada um, ever the, since. Uh, escape from a predator, apparently. Well, or well, escape from a, mon- a monopolistic entity. You know, I, I don't think. Uh, I hope you wouldn't. You would agree that if we just opened up the gates. And if we certainly, if we had done that, say in the thirties or the twenties, when Hollywood was just being born, I mean, a lot of the stuff we have now that we complain about wouldn't exist at all. Um, and I do see a lot of value and, and, you know, I, I I deeply understand why a nation, uh, particularly a relatively young one like Canada makes that investment. But I think what has happened over time is that the cultural sector has become, some have become dependent on that funding in a way that can limit growth and innovation. Um, some have far outstripped it. And, and do, should we even be funding things that where, you know, the, the budget is, is a small fraction. And again, I, I would say none, none of what I am saying now or is determinant of Canada council policy. I'm just, this is the sort of, I think the, the ideas around some things mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, and I think um, for sure we have a system that has, because of when most of these things were born and the attitudes of the times and the very public policy of the government at the time towards some populations, um, first nations, my own being among those, we're actually systemically and at the moment of creation for these institutions barred from participation, right? And so years down the road, this results in inequities and it results in a cultural imbalance, I would suggest, right? Where the large cultural purveyors, the people that really make culture in Canada, that really have that power are, are predominantly white, you know, and, and, um, that's whether we're talking about the media producers, large theater companies, large galleries, like that's, that just is, is part of it. And, um, that I think creates a false sense of what Canadian culture is, right. Is that, is that it's this thing that we've supported, but if that's really only been driven and included some, some communities and excluded others, well, you're going to get a false vision. And in many ways, it feels like um, a lot of cultural institutions are wrestling with that reality now, you know, especially now that uh, everyone is suddenly demanding, uh, looking for the community is looking to these institutions to better represent them and reflect them. And uh, suddenly the institutions are realizing they don't, they, they are not there and mm-hmm. um, they've been left wanting. 
that's one of the one of the problems. Um, not nearly enough people who do art engage with um, artistic bodies for a variety of reasons, for good or bad. Uh, you know, I, again, I don't have all the the answers, and I I think that we haven't. And when I look at, um, you know, you often talk, Jesse, about how the journalists, journalism business, the business side of it, has failed to adapt to modern times and how Canada's policy has sort of maintained a status quo that went out of date years and years and years ago. And I worry that our broad cultural policy tends to do that as well. Like, it's that's not just a journalism problem. That's a, that's a whole bunch of stuff. And I think we need to be way more nimble, way more innovative, way more inclusive and not sort of embrace, I think, the, the, the modus that a lot of these institutions were originally founded on, which was it's okay to fail. Let's just create, like, let's, let's do something and not be afraid that these aren't economic things or, or choices because cultural policy, while we've tied it to economics strategically over years is really so much about much more than economics. And that was true when all of those things that I just listed were founded, like no one founded the CBC thinking, Oh, this will be, this better make money or the NFB better make money. None, 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 not, that's not at all how it was worked or museums or anything like that. And yet through over the years, that has become a real um, problem in that institutions are either underfunded, so they they end up being beholden to sponsors and other int- private interests that don't necessarily have the broader cultural good in in mind, or um, they just become stagnant in terms of their own uh, innovation. They don't advance uh, beyond themselves, and that's I think where we find ourselves now, where we have a real sustainability problem in the the cultural sector, and with with the pandemic. Um, that's meant that because we don't have a uh, sustainability across the sector, you know, you're seeing people leave the sector. And the, and the last thing you want uh, is a cultural community is actually to see people exit and not come back because that's a, a, a loss, not just for them, that's for all of us. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, you know, one can kind of um, look at the ways in which Canada Council has explicitly stated it wants to change, and you can kind of figure out what it's trying to fix from that. So, you know, and I I don't know, I've been adjacent to like, uh, I'm not an artist, but I know a bunch. Mm. And uh, I, I know about, you know, publicly within society, artists say, we want more funding for the arts. Internally amongst artistic communities, it's just a constant, I think, justified bitch fest about who gets the money. It's vicious. Um, who's getting unfairly treated? And, and uh, okay, so let's just look at this from what the Canada Council itself is saying. Sure. Uh, they're saying that um, they want to balance project and core funding 50-50. So tell me if I'm interpreting this correctly. When I look at the budgets in previous years, it's like, you know, you get uh, uh, artists who try to like live off of grants, which is a hard thing to do, um, trying to get small bits of money to do uh, a project, a series of paintings or, you know, uh, a, a specific limited project. And that gets, you know, they're looking for, you know, what, what, whatever it might be, so, you know, in, in you know, thousand, $10,000, $20,000. $20, and then the vast majority of the money goes to these entrenched players, like big arts institutions that have come to expect 
a certain check every year. And uh, I know that one of the uh, complaints has been there needs to be more money for those project-based uh, endeavors. So it looks like the Canada Council is recognizing that, saying we're going to split it 50-50 between project and core funding. Uh, stop me when I get anything wrong here. Uh, no, that, sound, that sounds about right. Okay. Tripling support to Indigenous artists, organizations, and communities. Uh, that one explains itself. Um, and uh, doubling investments in international arts support. And investing 25% of new money in artists or organizations that have never received funding before. That one speaks to me to a complaint I've heard people make again and again and again, which is that once you're on the inside track of getting grants, there are people who just fall in favor and then they get the grants every year and they get bigger grants year after year and it shuts out new players. And, you know... It's this problem, as I understand it, of, um, you know, the, the Canada Council for the Arts is a, is a government-funded institution, and this idea of, like, do we really want the government deciding what art is good and what art gets funding or not? Well, no, we have juries of That's peers. Right. We have other artists, so it's fair. So it's not some government bureaucrat making that decision. It's people who know. But, of course, artists themselves, especially in a country as small as Canada, you know, you've got all kinds of, of clans and cliques, either based on aesthetic terms or just who your friends are. Uh, and, and people tend to sit on juries and then apply to juries. And there's uh, accusations of incestuous, you know, the, again, uh, people on the inside track. I mean, if I, if I read articles of people who've been critical of the Canada Council for the Arts, you get arts groups saying like, why is it that um, a Montreal artist is valued twice as much as a Toronto artist? You know, they look at the stats <laughs> and, uh, you know, a Montreal artist gets $4,000 uh, odd dollars in 2017, whereas in the same year, a Toronto artist would get on average $1,900. And then you look at like BC and Alberta and they're saying, well, we don't even get as much as the Toronto artist. How come? You know, and it all speaks to that there is an inner circle and Canada Council, I think, is trying to address that and forge a more equitable distribution of art funding. Do I have that all right? I think so. Although I guess, um, like, so not that I think so. I think generally, yes. Uh, but I would say a couple, you know, as you often say on this show, uh, more than one thing can be true at that time. You can read those stats and they can all be true. And yes, there are inequities um, that get baked into these these systems. As you know, this is something I've been working, advocating to solve those inequities across a whole bunch of systems for years and years and years. So I'm very familiar with that and happy to admit it. It can also be true, though, that any system where money is being rewarded is going to have people complain about that system. I have yet to see an arts granting system that it goes complaint free. Whenever I, I have I have artists or, or organizations who, who say, oh, they're very unhappy with how it works, and I ask what if not peer juries, what else would you do there? I have never had an answer, you know, about how, of a better system that would yield more <laughs> equitable results. And so like, I think part of it is, and, and again, I speak as someone who's been at the Toronto Arts Council and, and been around the, this work, there is just inherently going to be unhappy people because not everyone is going to be funded. Are there discrepancies that occur regionally? Yes, um, there are, but there's it's a little more nuanced than to simply say more money goes to Quebec than Toronto than goes to BC. Because a lot of the way the council works is they're very responsive to the applications they get. And so, you know, in the Toronto 
uh, Montreal gap, which is one Toronto arts organizations are frequent to point out, the council has always said, well, one of the challenges is we actually get more applications from Quebec and Montreal than we do from Toronto. I believe and, it. The number of people who are trying to get by on arts grants in Quebec, I've never known more than when I lived there, you know, so I, 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 I absolutely believe that. Sure. And so, but that's going to yield numbers that say, well, more goes to Quebec. Well, <laughs> right. Cause, uh, it's especially when you look at the success ratio. So in other words, uh, the success of applicants who apply, regardless of the numbers, they tend to be equal. Right. So it's not like Toronto artists or BC artists are not as successful. They just don't apply or apply for as much funding is typically <laughs> what, we, what is what the council would, would say. Um, but I would also say, like, you know, you mentioned the indigenous program. I mean, that was very specifically created to address a very specific issue historically within the organization, which was when the Canada Council was funded. It did not recognize indigenous arts as a thing. Uh, yeah. So we were, we, our communities were completely ineligible uh, for Canada Council funding unless it was in ballet or one of the traditional European arts. Um, and so that was there. And you're right in that uh, putting so much funds aside to get people who've never applied before is absolutely an effort to try to get more organizations and individual artists into the um, the program uh, to build those, I don't want to say inner circle, but to build rela- every, the world operates on relationships. So building those relationships as much for the council as for the artists. So the council can know uh, who's out there and on the project versus um, year round or, or um, core funding, um, you know, this is this is a this is a, a really big challenge. Uh, uh, th- this one, you've hit on something really because I think the solution that the the way Canada Council and and frankly this is true of of a lot of the councils in Canada, um, both you know more regional, provincial, or whatever, or Toronto, um, is because when you have the core funded groups, those do tend to be legacy organizations. So those are the folks that have been around for a long time and have been getting grants for a long time because there's a whole system that you have to go through to be eligible to get core core funding. And so in 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 terms of trying to diversify that segment it's it can be hard to get for all sorts of historic and systemic systemic reasons. This is why it's a big challenge. It can be hard to get diverse companies up to that core funding level. That should be the goal, though. So what happens is councils instead pour more money into projects because that is where you can more easily get diverse communities into your uh, system. It does not ultimately resolve the systemic inequities that exist in the cultural sector, right? Because the, that the resolution to that is getting organizations, diverse organizations, to that core funding. So that they can actually dream bigger, they can have sustainable funding year over year where they can strategize, hire people, actually build their own infrastructure and their own capacity. So the project solution is is an imperfect one. It's it's what we're doing. Um, but to me, this is one of the big challenges for the Canada Council going forward into our next strategic plan, which we've just started that process, is to really look at that issue right there. And how do we resolve that, especially coming out of a pandemic where it's clear we need sustainable cultural infrastructure in this country so that we don't have as many people at risk during these moments of crisis. Can we talk about the art bank for a minute? (laughs) Sure. 
how would you describe the art bank to somebody who doesn't know what it is? Uh, the art bank is a uh, sort of collection held by the government. Uh, it's administered by the Canada Council, where institutions, both corporate and public, can basically rent art from the uh, art bank. It's a way for artists to have their work purchased and and displayed. Um, you know, it's 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 funny you bring it up because it's, I, and I laugh because. Um, it's something it's the art bank is a fascination, you know, having sat on the board, every board member goes for a moment where the, what they want to talk about is the art bank. And because it's a sort of a, a moment of fascination because it's a tangible thing. We can, we actually go on a tour of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've walked through the art bank and it's, it's sort of uh, super cool. It's like the biggest and, collection of, of contemporary Canadian art in existence. That's right. And um, it is a decimal fraction of what the Canada Council actually does. And yet we spend a sort of an inordinate amount of time talking about it. But that's sort of what it is. Um, And now I'm sure you're going to tell me what people don't like about it. Well, I'm I'm just talking about how it's constructed. Okay, so it's it's self funded, right? The the annual budget yeah. of the Canada Council doesn't go into this because it's actually, it it seems like it's a really smart system. Uh, the the art bank buys art. It's I don't know. It's probably one of the biggest buyers of Canadian art, and uh, it's got over eighteen thousand works of art. And the way that it sustains itself is, as you say, it rents it out. And so it, it it's not a drain on the annual budget of the Canada Council. Now, who does it rent it out to? Ninety percent of the renters of the art are government offices. So if you are running the art bank and you want to do a good job of buying art, that's going to get rented, you've got to buy art that government offices are going to feel comfortable putting on the walls. Like that's like a system for boring art, isn't it? And and, uh, like painters are going to know that and artists are going to know if I want to sell this thing, like here's the thing in Canada, you can sell to the Canada council art bank, or you could sell to like RBC or TD. That's who buys Canadian contemporary art. So that's, well, that's going to produce a, a certain kind of art. Well, it's not entirely true. Um, that, that there's, <laughs> there's an enormous amount of who buys contemporary Canadian art. I do, Jesse. I mean, lots of people buy contemporary Canadian art. Um, so that's a misnomer. And that was quite a journey to get around to how the art bank is somehow censoring Canadian artists. Uh, that was that. I thank you for that. I, I didn't say censoring. Who's the censoring? My mic. Well, maybe make uh, requiring them to be self censorious in order to uh, gain access to the mythical grounds of the, of the art bank. Um, I'm just saying it's a it's a boring art machine. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, have you ever been there? No. Have you viewed any of the work in there? Uh, yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. Like by accident. I, maybe uh, you should come for a tour. I mean, I, I like, I, I think you maybe have. A, I accept. I have a somewhat odd impression of the place. <laughs> Given that premise, I, I'm actually at a bit of a loss. Um, I don't think that's, that's what's happening. Are you going to bat a thousand when you are an art granting body and that every piece of art is going to be the greatest? No. Um, what, what system of play in this planet are we batting a thousand uh, on as humans? Like none. So, I mean, sure, some of it will b- produce boring art. Some of it will produce absolutely 
tremendous work that's seen all over the world. And, and of course, art is a subjective thing. So it may work for some and may not for others. I, you know, I, it, listen, I run the Indigenous Screen Office. We're trying to become an arts funder ourselves. And um, I'm absolutely acknowledged that that will mean we'll put funds into projects that I personally may not like, but me personally does not amount to anything in this conversation that's not the it amounts to quite a bit i mean like you say you are trying to the canada council wants to produce and fund excellent art but as you say art is totally subjective so somebody's subjective analysis is going to matter more than somebody else's and i might suggest that the guy who's running the the board of the canada council his taste might matter more than mine well, that, that might be true if I sat in on any of those deliberations and had any influence on any of them, which I don't. Um, so, like, I again, I don't even know where I would have access for that influence. Um, yeah, that that is that's just not what's happening. And if you yourself have said these are peer juried, the the council keeps an enormous long list of potential jurors. You don't get people on the same jury over and over and over again. That's not how it works. And yes, it's imperfect, but I think it works more better, better than most systems. I remember when they started that media fund that you hate so much for the legacy media. Uh-huh. And I, I, I wanted at that time, I thought, Oh, I should come on the show and discuss how they could come up. Even though we're dis- we're debating this, I generally think the peer review process works pretty well. Uh, as someone who's both been an organizer of those processes as well as a participant. And I thought, you know, when they started that journalism thing, I thought there is a way to create a system that could equitably reward these. It turns out you were correct and that that, that's not actually what they were interested in. So I'm glad we didn't have that debate because I I would have had egg on my face. But I think for art, where it's um, a slightly different goal than journalism, I think it still works quite well. And listen, I mean, um, I just went through a vet of the government to get this appointment. I'm someone who is, as you know, occasionally critical of the government. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they seemed fine with it. So again, I'm... I've never felt or don't feel in this moment that an artist is to gaining access to the art bank will have to curb something that won't upset the government. That's fine. Do it. Do everyone, all the artists that are listening, go make something that'll upset the government and please apply for a Canada council grant. <laughs> you know, listen, I, I'm giving you a hard time because just because that's what I do to express myself. <laughs> Um, you, and you are a, a great artist at it. I have thank to you. You might assume, based on your familiarity with my views on the media bailout and and my views on funding for you know TV and film in Canada, that I and I might be coming across in this conversation as somebody who's against arts funding, and I I'm not. I just think it's absurd. That's all. Like, <laughs> but I think you know what do you want? Like, but do you would you prefer the American system? Well, that is that is kind of the question, right? Because I do think somebody's got to fund the stuff. I don't think the free market's going to make for for art, uh, especially whatever you want to call it, art for art's sake, high art. I don't know, whatever. Like there isn't a functional, sane economy, industry ecosystem for art, and so we have this thing in Canada where we've said, okay, if we don't fund this. We're just not going to have any. And and it's it's a position, it's a starting position of fear and failure. Like we will be swallowed alive by the predator to the south. So it's got to come from government. Now, if it doesn't come from government, where does it come from? In the States, they have the National Endowment for the Arts. It's half the size budget of the Canada Council in a country if, that's 10 times the size. If that. 
right? And yet they produce a lot of cutting edge art. They have a vibrant fine art scene in America. And I think that if you are, I mean, none of this policy shit matters. Like artists I've known, they just want to find a way to live and express themselves. So they just go like, how do I get money? You know, if you lived in the States, you would go one direction. If you live in Canada, you would apply for a Canada council grant. If you live in the States, there is a kind of vast network of private philanthropy institutions, fellowships and universities. And, you know, but there's a lot of rich people. And I think that like you are one of the foremost proponents of diversity in any ecosystem that I've met and you express it really eloquently as to why that's a good way to go. The fact that there isn't one centralized place to ask for money in the States means that they're competing. There's, there's going to be people who want to support, you know, a a classicist. uh, Oh, I want to see art that's defined by high technique and the, you know, the masters. And there's going to be other people who are on the cutting edge of, you know, aggressively, uh, aberrant and, and controversial, you know, there's just a lot of different players out there. And so maybe that produces a more vibrant scene than the Canadian scene. What I appreciate about your endeavor and why I'm not against it is that it's ludicrous, Jesse, like, (laughs) like you said it, there's nothing more subjective than art, but because you're administering this government funding, uh, body, it has to develop an objective criteria. You know, subject, subjective is about discrimination. Like you can discriminate, but you can't, like you, you're even unwilling to say that I discriminate based on excellence and taste because then it's your taste. So you've got to have like, you know, the illusion that it's that it's uh, objective because you've got these peer reviewed juries. And then the actual reality of that is what artists, you know, complain about constantly. I, I, so anyhow, I think it's, I think it's an, an, an absurd project, but an admirable one. Does that make sense? Um, I think so. Uh, I hope, I hope it does for you. Um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> I, 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 I would love to spend more time cause I would be interested if you actually think that while you, you called the Americans scene vibrant, I wouldn't disagree, but I would say like, I'll use one example and it'll, it'll be from my community. So, so first nations people in America, like they barely produce one indigenous film a year feature film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, most years they don't produce a single one that has not been true in Canada for, for at least a few years, uh, certainly many more than in the U S and that is entirely because of public funding. And when we started the indigenous screen office, a huge volume of the inquiries came from the U S because they were so desperate for something that would support them. That meant that they didn't have to walk into hallways where no one looked like them understood where they came from knew their story, were interested in their story. And when you have a system that's entirely commercially based, or you have a system where it's private buyers uh, uh, and gallerists, and where you know that those systems were built in equity, those are unequal places. You're not going to convince me that the private buyers of art in America are a diverse group of people, because they aren't. And so what happens is in the States that it may be vibrant, but is it inclusive? Is it equitable? Is it actually even good? Because, you know, you look at Hollywood, you know, they used to make good movies in Hollywood. I don't know that they do that much anymore. And so, and and that's entirely a pay, you know, commercial-based system. And I'm not sure it's done well by the art, that commercially-based system. And there was a moment where I would actually argue that in Canada, because of public funding, 
there was a period where we absolutely made more interesting movies than uh, per capita, at least, than the States did. And I'm not saying that that's true now, but I guess I, I would say I'm not sure I would trade the vibrancy, the, 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 what you're feeling in the U.S., where my community ha- is completely shut out of that vibrancy versus Canada, where we are still on the outside looking in, but at least there's some, we, at least we have a window into that world that we may be able to open and get through. There's nothing for the the folks, my cousins in the U S like they're on the outside of the building. There's no window. There's no door. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue in favor of a system that just completely disenfranchises entire peoples. At the same time, there's a tendency here to say, okay, well, we don't have that. We made some stuff here and then not look hard enough at the question of who's watching it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's true. And that, and you know, that speaks to, um, you know, I think part of that high and low that, that we started this conversation on, right. Which is that, um, it's okay. Like the, the metrics of success or what, what is considered art should also be shifted. Um, you know, so when I look at what the ISO is proposing, the indigenous screen office, like if you wanted to be a YouTuber, you'd be eligible under our plan this would appeal to you. You could start building an independent indigenous uh, journalism yeah. under the ISO. Um, like, cause, cause I don't, we don't view story or cultural uh, creation as a high, low thing. I personally have never grasped that as someone who read comics and then would go to the ballet on a Sunday as a kid. It never occurred to me that these were somehow disconnected things. And I think we need our funding institutions to actually begin to have more flexibility. And the Canada Council did that, right? When they shifted their funding model, they stopped discipline specific sort of program streams and broaden that to try to be more inclusive of what could be created. You can't, it's still not everything under the sun, but it's in there. And of course that's in concert with telefilm and the other public funders that, that create cultural content in, um, in Canada. And so I do think that part of it is trying to be nimble, especially, you know, as you pointed out post COVID, what we don't even really know what a lot of the cultural sector is going to look like and, and, and be like from public funders to embrace whatever the new is going to be. And I think you touched on something else really important, which is that artists just want to do their art and they are remarkable at figuring out how to do that. So they will figure out in a commercial system, how to make it viable and and live. They will figure out in a public system, how to do that. And I, frankly, I think we're counting on them to help figure out not just the cultural sector, but for a lot of us, how post COVID is actually going to work. You know, like when I look at what, how the concerts or theater productions are being put on on drive-ins and social distancing, like a lot of industries are probably learning from that practice. Um, uh, Same with professional sports, those sorts of things learning how this new world is going to look because we obviously don't know when this current moment is actually going to resolve itself. Jesse, do you know how I know for a fact that the Canada Council for the Arts is ridiculous? Please tell me. Besides my appointment as president. (laughs) Now, that's not why. They made a good move there, I think. I know that Canada Council is ludicrous because uh, it gave me money. Well, that is a very strong argument, yes. 
20 years ago, I filled out a grant application with my filmmaking partner. We used to make uh, animated films and we were cynically trying to put in anything we thought to people with no artistic records. We said we would, it would be a new media. That was the phrase back then, digital filmmaking hybrid, but it would also reflect the culture of Montreal and our heritage as Jewish. Everything we thought would, would tilt it towards us. And we got a $16,000 grant. And, uh, I, I think I went for many years thinking like, that was so silly of them. Like anybody could have filled that out and gotten the cash. Uh, what, what a bunch of suckers. And then I remember that we actually went and spent years working on a piece of artwork. And the fact that it, you know, maybe sucked wasn't really necessarily the Canada council's fault. And then I also recognized that, um, while I think I was a bad bet, if you're going to give emerging artists funding, my filmmaking partner is a guy named Josh Dolgan, who has been an artist ever since. So I guess the Canada Council could say that they made an early smart investment in a really you know vibrant uh, Canadian artist who's had a, a pretty great career since then. They also gave me money. So you could kind of play that one either way. <laughs> well, indeed, that is exactly what we'll say. But um, I, I think the investment in you was smart too. Just because you didn't end up being a quote unquote artist, you started a media company. <laughs> you, you work in the media. This was a wise investment. And I think it goes to show then you're a shining example of why this is ultimately important. You know, you give a young artist, someone who filled out a thing, as you said, and threw everything they could imagine, every intellectual artistic word into a grant application and got the grant. Fast forward 20 years and they're, they're a media company or they're a uh, working artist. That's the point. That's the point of so many investments is that you don't know where it's going to end up. But if you don't make the investment, are you limiting that person? Are, you know, to me, it's just about the possibility. And yes, that individual artwork may not have been great, but if both of you have gone on to greater success and that helped, then it was totally worth it. Are, are you sure that that's what you want to hang a defense of, of the Canada council on? You want to take credit for me that that could come back on you, Jesse. Y yeah. I'm proud of the, that the Canada council funds, whoever it is that they fund. And I'm proud of what those people do. And, and yes, I think you do good work. I I'm baffled by it uh, often, at least your Twitter behavior. But, but other than that, I mean, I, I think it's, it's very valuable. And if the public can help just like Jesse, if I, if, uh, if I'm ominous, I truly wish that you guys would have gotten money from that, whatever media fund, because I, ideally in my brain, the reason you launch a media fund like that is actually to invest in the innovators, not in the folks who are lacking it. Granted, they did it all wrong. And you were right about that. But in my mind, you are exactly the sort of person who should have been funded under that. And as a 20 year old Jewish person in Montreal, desperate to animate something, Hey, you were, you were the right person then too. I'll blame the media bailout for a lot, but I can't blame them for denying us money. We, we, we did not apply. I'll, I'll, I'll take the other kind words to heart. And, uh, as for my tweets, Jesse, uh, it'll help if you just view them as performance art. <laughs> they might be fundable. <laughs> Thank you. I do worry about you, Jesse. <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest. I do worry about what you. What do you worry about? God, it's, it's so, so, I just worry that maybe it's just your persona. 
that I get on the Twitter or on the podcast. Maybe this isn't actually you, but I do worry sometimes the cynicism could be overwhelming. I, uh, I wonder, I feel like I've done something recently to upset you. I want to know what it is because I value your opinion. No, uh, I don't think there was something recent, but I've since forgotten. And it wasn't that you upset me. It was another thing where like, boy, why would he say that? Like that knowing that it's just going to cause grief, but maybe you like that. I don't know. I think I do. We can talk about it over a beer sometime. I, I would I would actually like to do that because part of me hopes that I could convince you not to do that. But a part of me also just wants to understand as someone who now, like every time I go on Twitter, it's now reason for me not to ever go on Twitter again. Like I'm, I've really begun to feel that these spaces are just dreadful and um, soul sucking. And I, I literally now count the days to when I believe I won't ever have to go on them again. Jesse, I love it there so much. <laughs> well, then I truly do not. We have this. We share. We share a name, but I, 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 I have no insight into your soul. I'm afraid. That is your Canada Land episode. Listen, if you like our podcast, uh, we could use your help. Come and uh, give us five bucks a month by clicking on the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at Canadaland. Our website is canadalandshow.com. The senior producer for this episode is Rosalind Kafour. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like this show, please support us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.